0: This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Wiser Books. Wiser Books is celebrating 60 years of publishing the very best in occult and esoterica. You can check out their extensive and inspiring range of reading material by going to wiserbooks.com. That's W-E-I-S-E-R books.com. This episode of The Witch Wave has been brought to you by Tarot & Tea Ritual Boxes. Taro and Tea has traveled through the centuries, from mountains and seas, from temples and palaces, to find its way to you. They believe the magic of tarot and tea can change life sip by sip and card by card. It is a spell woven daily through their curated ritual tea boxes, which feature fine art and indie tarot decks and personalized readings, as well as ancient and artisanal teas and so much more. Each box is designed to provide delightful adventures, enchanted experiences, and personal evolution, and invites you to seize the magic hidden in plain sight, the present moment. And here's something special just for Witch Wave listeners. You can use offer code which for 20% off anything in their shop. And that includes 20% off your first subscription box. So go to tarotandtea.com. That's tarot, T-A-R-O-T, the letter dot com, And use offer code which now for 20% off. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Welcome to the Witch Wave. It's almost Thanksgiving, which is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite holidays. I love the food, the golden, rusty colors, the simple act of sharing a meal with people I care about, and I especially appreciate that it is a time for gratitude. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Gratitude magic is some of the most powerful magic that we have. It has the ability to transform our own perspectives and turn a sense of lack or emptiness or fear or deprivation into a sense of abundance. And even more than that, I believe gratitude can attract more abundance that being appreciative of the blessings that we have in our lives is an invitation for more blessings. So even if you've had a challenging month or year or several years, even if the holidays stress you out like they often do for me, Thanksgiving is a day to stop and breathe and take stock of the good things. Now, I realize not everyone likes to go around in a group and give thanks out loud, and that's totally fine. But I hope regardless of this, you'll find a little pocket of time to do some sort of ritualized action to say thank you to spirit. Maybe you'll put an offering on your altar. Maybe you'll write a poem or a prayer or light a candle or make a beautiful bouquet that you will then give back to the Earth after the holiday. The words thank you are a spell. As Sufi poet Rumi wrote, Thanksgiving gives birth to alertness. The bounty of Thanksgiving will satisfy and elevate you, and you will bestow a hundred bounties in return. I've actually been doing a practice this year where each morning I write a list of 10 things I'm grateful for. Sometimes the things are vast. I'll list my husband, my health, my cats, my creative work. Sometimes the things are small, the velvety orange pillows I lean on as I type in my office. A recent phone call with a friend that made me laugh my ass off pomegranate seeds but when I do this it reframes my day and puts me in a stance of having enough it helps to put any anxiety I'm having or overwhelming to-do lists into perspective because I know I'm already okay in this moment so please Take time to give thanks this week in whatever shape or form feels right to you. Another thing I'm trying to keep in mind this holiday season is the idea of gathering. Whether you choose to gather with family or friends, there can be potent magic when people get together in time and space to be present with each other. The word coven comes from the Latin convinare, to come together, or to convene. And I'm going to be keeping that in mind this year, as I deal with my own stress around the holidays. My guest this week, Chiquita Brujita is a master of convening, for she throws parties that are part revelry, part ritual. In speaking with her, I was reminded of the healing that can come when groups of people gather together to celebrate and dance and delight. In listening to the interview as I was editing this episode, though, I realize that I misspeak during it. You'll hear me say that in the Jewish tradition in which I was raised, there isn't a big custom of dancing. But I realized shortly afterward that that's not actually true. Jewish folks do a dance called the Hora at weddings and bar and bat mitzvahs, which is a big dance where everyone holds hands or shoulders in a circle. It's usually done to the song Havanagila, which means Let Us Rejoice. And the history of that song is its own interesting and meandering story. But suffice it to say, doing the hora is definitely a tradition I grew up with. Now, there are conflicting theories as to the derivation of the word hora. Some say it's related to the Hore, or the Greek goddesses of the seasons. The words hora and oro are found in many Slavic languages and mean round or a round dance. Such hora or oro circle dances exist throughout Eastern Europe, and the Jewish version became popularized in the 1920s, though many believe it's based on these much older traditions. Anyhow, My conversation with Chiquita Brujita is a really great one to prepare us for this time of year when we circle together to rejuvenate and rejoice. I think you're really going to enjoy it. But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire.
1: Who is it? Wishes.
0: Crystal writes, I ask for your advice regarding doing magic in a secretive manner. I have been trying to dive deep into my practice as a witch, but I am finding it hard to openly express myself in my home. I live with my parents who are against my practice. Whenever they see me light seven-day candles and surround them with crystals and tarot cards, they tell me to stop that voodoo. To them, I am silly for believing in something they cannot see or find real. I unfortunately do not have a space I can truly call my own. My room is an open door where my mother frequently comes in to watch TV. Every time I light a candle or try to do other spell work on an altar, I am constantly thinking about the bad energy that is directed towards it if my mother were to see. I believe it's strongly affecting the success of my work. I pose my story to you and to your podcast and listeners who might be in similar circumstances and are looking for ways to practice in the dark. Hi, Crystal. This is a tough one, and I know that many people find themselves in a similar position. The practice of any sort of witchcraft or brujería is still so misunderstood by many people who are afraid of it or don't understand it. In the worst of cases, some people think it's evil or dangerous, and in milder cases, they might think it's foolish or a fake waste of time. Luckily, no one owns your thoughts, your beliefs, or your relationship to the divine. That is your birthright, and it belongs to you. You and you alone get to define it and practice it. But I know that doesn't solve your immediate issue, which is that you don't feel safe or comfortable practicing your magic in your own space. There's so much that I want to address here regarding your own boundaries with your family, especially around your private space. And I hope you're considering ways to either protect your room or taking steps to find a new space that belongs to you. But I know all of that is so much easier said than done, especially without my knowing your circumstances. So the best I can do for now is to answer the question as you put forth, which is, how can you practice a bit more privately? Well, one practical thing I like to recommend is for you to fashion a small portable altar that you can take with you when you leave or simply slip into a drawer or a bag. I really like something as simple as an Altoid tin for this purpose, though you can go as tiny as a matchbox if that's all you feel comfortable with. Fill it with images or symbols that inspire you, and objects like stones, flower petals, crystals, a slip of paper with a poem you love, any lucky charms— This will be your own mini shrine that you can rearrange or change whenever you choose. Hey, maybe you'll make a few of them for different holidays or deities or different things you want to manifest. But maybe you'll just have the one. That's fine. Magic isn't about scale or volume or place or even stuff. You can make magic without any items at all with just your own body and your own mind. Still, objects can help us focus our attention. So my suggestion to you is to work small and subtle, but to concentrate as much love and imagination and beauty into your little altar as you can possibly muster. Another suggestion is for you to find some space outside your home that feels holy. This can be a tree you pass on the way to work. It can be a spot in the park, a patch of weeds, a lake, a river. But it's a spot where you can go regularly and visit with to leave offerings or ask for help or just be in the moment with nothing coming between you and your magic. I hope this helps and I hope you'll keep me posted and let me know how it goes. Good luck, Crystal. Now, onto my guest. Chiquita Brujita is a third generation New Eurekan Bruja, a performance artist, and a conjurer of fiestas. She is the creator of the magical merchandise brand Brooklyn Brujeria, where she sells prayer candles and other items for the modern witch. She has also devised her own divination system based on the Mexican Loteria card game. As a dancer and event producer, she has collaborated with such institutions as the Brooklyn Museum, El Museo del Barrio, and Bushwick's House of Yes, and her work has been featured by Remezcla, Nylon, and many other fine publications. I loved our conversation about gathering, creativity, and the magical power of joy. Chiquita joined me from her Brooklyn studio via Skype. Chiquita Brujita, welcome to the Witch Wave.
1: Thank you. <laughs>
0: I'm so happy that you're here. And I have to say, your name has come up for me. Maybe five or six times in terms of people recommending you as a guest on the podcast or mentioning you to me. So it's really, really wonderful to get the opportunity to learn a little bit more about you.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: It's a great pleasure. With someone like yourself who does so many different things, I often like to start by asking, how do you define the work that you do? I mean, I can certainly quote what you wrote on your website because you have some really great mm-hmm. phraseology on there, but I'd love to know, like, how do you describe the kind of work you do and the kind of magic that you're making these days?
1: Yeah, so I identify as a third-generation New Yorkian bruja I am Puerto Rican on my mother's side, and I have many balls in the air at all times. I'm an event producer, so part of my magic is creating large cultural events. I threw Latin raves in partnership with some DJs in the city for a little bit. Recently, I used to have a family business that was a nightclub many years ago, so I've grown up throwing parties. I consider myself a curandera de fiestas. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. um, So they've gotten bigger and bigger over the years, which has been amazing. I'm a tarot reader. I also tell fortunes of my own creation using the Mexican Loteria bingo deck. And I have a growing, I mean, I guess a, a brand, for lack of a better encompassing word right now, I'm best known for my prayer candles, but I also sell other magic and lifestyle-related merchandise. Oh,
0: perfect. Good. You did a much better job of all that than I would have, so thank you. (laughs)
1: So I want to dive in and kind
0: of talk about everything you just said piece by piece, because each part is so rich and there's so much we could talk about in terms of each different aspect of your magic. But then I also want to talk about them holistically, because I think it's really incredible how you balance all of them together. Mm -hmm. And you started talking about yourself in terms of event planning and party planning. What does that look like? I've certainly seen photographs on your Instagram that look absolutely glorious. But I'd love to know, when you're planning one of these magical parties, What is it that your intention is, and what can people expect to find when they arrive?
1: I was a student of anthropology, and I'm a dancer by training and passion. You know, music is one of the most powerful methods, in my opinion, of communication, of healing, of connection to spirit, and so parties are one of the most popular ways of communing in that realm, right, by being able to gather my community and the general public into bigger and bigger spaces and also smaller ones to offer this moment of connection with music, you know, mostly Afro-diasporic, different rhythms, you know, that have become edits and remixes from the DJs and the musicians that I'm working with. But these events consist of a micro circus, right? So everything from tarot readers to mini markets to stilt walkers and aerialists and, you know, watermelon shots of actual watermelon juice, (laughs) you know, Sancocho at 2am, right? So little surprises depending, but definitely experiences deeply rooted in a variety of very Black, very Latin culture and very, very danceable music.
0: That sounds like a dream. And when did you start doing this? When did you start realizing that you have this gift for pulling together all of these different creative forces and just showing people how to have a great
1: time? So I've always had a birthday party. So I think it probably started with that. My dad was in hospitality in New York City for many, many years. So I think, you know, learned tremendous amounts of how to host from him. You know, in recent years, was fortunate to work with a global base party here in the city and, you know, in partnership with some of the museums to just produce more and more experiences. And so I think A lot of hard work and willingness to do things that are seemingly a lot of work, but not impossible, and then just vision it. If you can dream it, and if you can try and make it happen, more is usually more. (laughs)
0: Exactly. You know, it's interesting because before we started speaking, I was trying to think about the witchy context for parties, and I was thinking about the witch's sabbath, or the witch's sabbath, this idea in the probably 14th through 17th century that the Catholics had that a group of witches getting together, they were up to no good. It was trouble. They were worshipping the devil. They were dancing. They were entering these trances of ecstasy. And then I started thinking about The ways in which party culture is still to some degree, when you think about big cities, there's still this great spirit of like the underground or the mystery of what might be going on behind these closed doors. And I was just wondering... When you're organizing these kind of events, are you approaching them from some kind of magical intention as well? Do you want to get that spirit of witches or brujas floating in the air or is it a little bit more metaphorical for you?
1: So I think of my brujeria as cultural magic. So I have my own personal religious practices that have been called brujeria, called witchcraft by generations. And so for me, that's where I kind of reclaim the term of being a bruja, how I own that, you know, as chiquita brujita, and, and also encourage others through the things I, I make. Of course, I hope and I've seen and have actively manifested all of the magic that takes place at these parties, large and small, I think to your point of the danger and the hearsay of a group of women working together to do things in private, right, has always been considered something worth restricting, right? Yeah, I think that extends to the practices of the queer community. I think that extends to the practices of Black and Brown and any oppressed group. And so for me, particularly because I've been blessed to be in the space of throwing mostly Latinx parties, so very much inclusive of a number of different types of people, that magic of just being able to be safe together in a space and be free and joyous practiced, is acknowledged, is intentional, and unfortunately, I think is a little too far between. So the more that I can make those spaces, I think the more magic evolves and disperses,
0: right? (laughs) I love that. And it sounds like a really healing experience, too. For me, I grew up Jewish, though I've been a practicing pagan for most of my life. And so the idea of like dance culture is something that's pretty foreign to me. I mean, I love to dance. I love music and obviously like have gone to parties and and all that. But there's not really a huge tradition of dance, at least in the styles that I was raised. So I love you your idea of this connection of dance and music, both to spirituality and to culture at the same time, because it really is such a release. And we know there are so many different ways to enter that state of otherness or liminality, whether it's through trance or meditation or rhythm and drumming and dancing is certainly one way. And that's something that I really, really have always admired in cultures outside of my own, to be quite frank.
1: Yeah, and we do see it absolutely with club kid culture, with underground music culture, this sense of ecstatic dance as you approach, to your point, these liminal states where you become more and more of the channel. There absolutely is healing in that and the release of the actual biochemical, right? You're sweating, you know, you're having heat rising in your body, like you're going through actual metaphysical changes in addition to experiencing the music. It's deep. It's really beautiful. And all kinds of cultures dance into trance, which is part of it, too.
0: And when did you start dancing and what style of dance were you either trained in or or did you just naturally pick up?
1: I was trained in ballet from the age of probably six to I think I had to stop when I was 11 or 12. Then started contemporary modern training with spurts here and there of African and some flamenco. I was definitely a hip hop dancer for many, many years. I danced all through college after and still perform my own sort of version of, I call it like, I don't know what I call it. There's lots of spinning. (laughs)
0: Well, I've seen it on Instagram, and it is absolutely mesmerizing and bewitching and beautiful. So I don't know that it needs a name. I think people just need to see it. (laughs) And, you know, I'm sure this is a question that uh, might be tiresome to answer, but you do have all of these different threads of culture in your identity. And I I'm always curious how people kind of flow between these different identities that certainly we all carry, but it sounds like you definitely carry in terms of different traditions and different cultures within your family line.
1: Yeah, you know, my mom is Puerto Rican from New York, and my dad is half Black, half Jewish from St. Louis. And I was raised partially in entirely Black and Latino public school and then entirely Jewish private day school. So I'm definitely educated in lots of worlds. I'm friends in lots of worlds. I've been exposed to all of the magic of all of my own kind of sangre, my blood, right? But also my peers and my family and my friends and growing up a New Yorker. It walks with me. I've always been Black and Latina. I think having the hair that I have and being fair-skinned, has made people ask me, what are you, since I could respond. And so a deep exploration of that question in my academic studies, but also very much in the creation and the affirmation of who I am as a person, has been, I think, explaining or not explaining, but just owning multiple parts of myself in all of the ways that I present. It can't really separate it because whoever responds in the moment is informed by all of my experience. Mm -hmm.
0: And were you raised with several different religions or spiritual systems as being part of
1: your life? Raised in a traditional faith, right? I didn't grow up going to church every weekend, but My grandmother was a santera. She was a priestess of Yemaya in Santeria or Ifa for many years and definitely all of the years that I've been alive. And so the religion in that regard has been ever present in my life, but not so much something that was actively taught or passed down. I think it was really more something that was cultural for me and became a source of deep exploration when I was in school and Something that I have really taken active steps, you know, both when she was still alive and now we've, to continue to evolve my practice and be a part of that faith and community and tradition. Right? And,
0: and if I can just interject, because we have a lot of newbie witches who listen to the podcast. So we've talked about Yemaya before, but I would love to hear you describe her to someone who might not be familiar to that deity.
1: So she is the Orisha of the ocean. She is the eternal mother, her colors are blue, (laughs) or number (laughs) seven. And she was my grandmother's crown, right? And so she's part of my life. (laughs) Beautiful.
0: And so you had this thread coming from your grandmother. And then were there other religious threads or spiritual threads that you were braiding
1: together? Well, so I went to Fieldston, I went to private school in the seventh grade after doing Prep for Prep, this program for gifted Students of color in New York City, which is its own thing, and so actually felt like I found my Jewish life because I went to probably forty or fifty bat mitzvahs. Um, Same. uh, (laughs) Literally went to service every weekend, candle lightings, and the whole thing. And so I have a deep part of me that has been informed by all of my friends that are Jewish growing up in the city, which is, I think, really beautiful, especially because my grandmother was Jewish as well, and just her courage to maintain her faith and also marry someone Black in the 50s when it was illegal still in Missouri. Oh, wow. Was this the same grandmother you were just talking about? No, so this is my
0: dad's mom.
1: Got you. Both, you know, women of faith that walk with me. That's beautiful.
0: On that note, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Have you visited chaseandscout.com yet? Elle creates beautiful handcrafted jewelry that brings unique spirit to your style to make you look and feel spectacular. I especially love the incorporation of natural objects from the hidden realms of lush gardens and wild forests to capture the essence of nature's dark beauty. You can order directly from Elle's one-woman Austin studio or collaborate with her on the custom jewelry design of your dreams. You can follow Elle on Instagram at Jewelry for a peek into her process. And if you place an order using offer code WITCH, you'll save 20%. So go on ahead to chaseandscout.com and find a little natural magic of your own. You've heard me gush about Mithras candles many times before, and they love you guys so much that they're now offering free shipping if you use offer code WITCH at their website, MithrasCandle.com. You know, 2,000 years ago, in labyrinthine underground temples across the Roman Empire, the first beeswax candles were burned in secret rituals to the god Mithras, Mithras. Now you can experience some of this mystery for yourself with Mithras Candles. They're handmade from the purest golden cappings beeswax, and with that natural, subtle honey and floral scent, Mithras candles are the perfect illumination for the mysteries of your life. So go to mithrascandle.com, that's M candle.com magic, I-T-H-R-A-S candle.com, and use offer code WITCH for free shipping today. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Chiquita Brujita. So we were just talking about your grandmothers and your religious navigation. How about that? And I would love to hear a little bit more about, um, especially as an anthropology student, because I was an anthropology major as well. And I really do think that, at least for me, it helps to give this wonderful lens and a really I think, holistic worldview around the fact that no matter what traditions we all come from, there's still a lot of similar values or similar principles. Like, no matter what tradition we come from, there's purification rituals or there's rites of passage. There's certain ceremonies and so on to celebrate the seasons of the year, what have you. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how Your studies as someone who focused on anthropology perhaps helped you put some of these pieces together and formulate your own way of navigating the world and certainly the ways in which you've built a career around all of this, too.
1: Yeah. So my practice is deeply rooted and my faith is deeply rooted in honoring my divine connection to my intuition And my ability to communicate with the universe, with my spiritual guides, with guidance in any number of the ways that that happens, right? And so when I was a student, I mean, I'm always a student, but when I first started, I think, actively deciding to study religion and those that use this system to organize their worldview. To build their altars in this way and, and to see themselves in divine, I think, in these ways. I felt that it resonated. I felt that it was a deep connection to my grandmother, to my mother, right? To my practicing actual blood lineage, but also very intuitively to my African antepasado, my ancestors. And so I think anthropology teaches us in all the ways that we're different, there's so many things that we do that are the same. And then they also teach you that everything else that you don't understand is religion. (laughs) (laughs) I think there was some freedom in that. But I think what's been really beautiful, and I've been actually recently reflecting on my college thesis, this very intense labor of research and writing that I wrote over 10 years ago, and seeing how much I struggled with the theory of the academy, with The structure of the department with the desire for categorization and definition in a realm that I still felt and still believe now is so ephemeral, right? And so ethereal and so impossible in many ways to define beyond the physical or the embodied, right? The embodied experience of it. So you have to be present. These are things that we pass down orally. You have to see, to feel, to understand. So reading this thesis of me trying to put so much into written words and the medium itself just being insufficient to capture spirit, honestly. And so the limitations and also the magic of being a formal student of anthropology were really wonderful because they affirmed the fact that what my practice was to become my professional path, what I was going to take out of it was going to be beyond this way of doing this work. So it was going to be festivals under the bridge with a public scream and bomba drumming and finally realizing that it's this interdisciplinary, this multiple sensory experience of trying to to do some sort of explanation of all the things I've learned, I guess. So
0: I'd love to talk a little bit more about this idea of space and the fact that Whether I'm watching a video of you doing a beautiful dance by yourself in your workshop or you're throwing these huge parties under the bridge or you're throwing a party at a museum, do you think it matters the wear of it
1: or is one body enough? Oh, one body is always enough. My body is always enough. I mean, it's always more fun and it multiplies the intensity, right? But one body always has to be enough. I don't have like a message, but if I were to have a message, it would be just to dance, right? So much of my freedom comes from that release. And if I can encourage others to find that center and that expansiveness of being able to just dance in your kitchen, which was my fortunes terminate with power moves of me dancing in the kitchen. And I do get this from my faith of this affirmation again of our homes being our temples, our bodies being our altars, these abilities to be sacred in our own space. I don't need to go outside of myself, outside of my environment to find consecrated grounds. Like I can, right? Like it's always better if I go to the river, if I go to the ocean or to the forest, right? But I can also just sit on the ground and be present and that's enough.
0: I think that's such an important message because a question I get asked a lot is around space. One of the things I tell people when they're starting out with any kind of witchcraft practice is I recommend that they have a little altar in their apartment. But inevitably, I'll get a question that's like, well, I don't really have room, or I live with someone who doesn't make me feel comfortable sharing that side of myself externally, or, or whatever it is, there's a limitation around space. You know, another question I get a lot is, how do you commune with nature when you live in New York City? And Well, first of all, there are our parks and there are trees, <laughs> but beyond that, to your point... It really doesn't have to be external. It really can be just conjuring spirit in your own body. And there are so many traditions that have honored doing that very, very thing. And certainly dance is one wonderful way to access that.
1: Yeah, and that's my medium. Not everyone is called to that. Some people are amazing singers, and everyone has their gift and their way of connecting, chanting.
0: But are you thinking about certain orishas or certain energies while you're dancing? Like if somebody really wanted to have an intentional practice for dance magic, let's call it, is that something that you do yourself, or is it a little bit more loose than that?
1: Yeah, I think I'm just improv-ing. I am just improv i would not call it that. There are specific pasos, there's steps, and there's ways that you can invoke the orishas, and those are known pasitos, and people teach those classes, and you can do that movement. I don't have that training, quite honestly. It's not where my impulse is coming from.
0: Okay, so it's more unique and spontaneous.
1: Yes, but also I am a daughter of Ochun, and so innately, whenever I move, she moves with me.
0: Mm, I love that. I want to pivot a little bit to some of the other areas that you make magic in one of the things you mentioned is fortune telling both tarot which I think lots of our listeners are used to hearing about but your lotteria um, style Mm -hmm. of fortune telling is something I'd certainly love to know more about can you share a little about that practice and how you developed it
1: Sure. So La Loteria is a very old Mexican bingo game. It's a deck of 54 cards that include the sun, the moon, el gallo, right? These archetypal cards that are very similar, in my opinion, in many ways to an oracle deck or to many of the same concepts in the tarot. And so in an act of performance art, but also I think divine sort of inspiration and just this moment in time, I traveled to Mexico, encountered the deck, came back with it and just kept sitting, sitting, looking, researching, like, how do I use these cards for divination? And at this point, I did not have a personal tarot practice, a deep practice, but I felt very connected to these cards. And so was also doing these dance videos at the same time, sort of separate, unrelated dancing just to kind of free my my energy my homegirl had a show. She had a gallery show she was organizing. Her partner is a painter. And so I was like, Pia, can I be in your gallery show? I want to do this thing. I think I'm going to play with these cards and basically make something with the dance videos. was really the impulse to just like kind of do something with this content, make somebody watch me dance. <laughs> and I ultimately created a divination system that has ascribed fortunes to each of the 54 cards in the deck, and there's a method of divining basically through numerology, introducing the numbers from the card into your power number. The numbers are syncretized with energy colors that are guided in part by nature, in part by some of the Orisha connections, and over the course of a year every moon on the full moon, I did new moves. And so uh, you got new energy words that populated with the colors. And so the whole system lives on Instagram. And I use it as a tool to tell my digital dancing full moon fortunes.
0: Ah, beautiful, beautiful. (laughs) And I really love this idea because One of the messages that I try to get through to people is certainly it's important to learn and to study from people who've come before us and different systems that have come before us, but also magic is a living system. It's here for us to adapt and adopt and add our own artistry and interpretation onto. So I love the idea of you seeing these cards, resonating with them, coming up with your own system of divination and it being just as powerful and I imagine just as accurate because you have intuition and an intimate study of these cards and knowledge of them now i don't know i just find that to be really exciting and really liberating
1: Yeah, it's deep. I started it that night just to do it once, and someone at the party was overheard saying, "The fortune teller told me I'm a, you know, a navy blue number two, and I need to be more compassionate." So I'm not going to fire this girl that was like really on the fence at the office. I'm going to give (laughs) her a few more weeks. And I was just like, "Oh my god, this guy totally took me seriously," you know. And at that moment, I had to honor what I was doing. It's been amazing. It really just went from there, and. I've met someone else, an elder in Texas, this beautiful poet who, when she saw what I was doing, I was doing regular tarot. I wasn't even doing the loteria. And she came up and just felt compelled to tell me that she had also created a system using loteria cards and and, and this whole thing. Right. And we just had this moment of just being like, yeah, I mean, you can't make it up. You know, the world is just like. That's incredible. I was like, that is deep. So she's just, you know, your spirit brings you people that affirm you, right? You just have to, to see them.
0: A hundred percent. And I also, just to drive the point home, want to remind people, tarot is just one method of divination. People have been reading palms, they've been throwing sticks and coins and stones and tea leaves, right? There's so many different ways that we can get signs and try to engage with these intuitive, unusual kind of forces and messages. Yeah. Listen to your heart. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And on that beautiful note, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Angela Mary Magic. Do you ever need an experienced witch to whip you up a spell? Angela Mary Magic is your safe space for confidential spellbound rites. Enter her enchanted online portal, where you'll receive an enormous array of seasoned bespoke witchery. And Angela Mary is now offering her most tender and personal spell work of her life called Moon Coven. This is a year and a day of spells that Angela Mary is casting for all 13 full moons, new moons, and eight turns of the wheel from October 2018 through October 2019. And if you sign up now, she'll weave your personal intentions into the magic too. You may purchase the entire quiver of 34 spells or in an a la carte fashion, choose specific spells on certain moons or holidays for yourself or someone else as a gift. And if that's not enough, she also offers spellbinding products such as her Atmosphere Magic Mist, and she does online booking for bespoke tarot sessions through a feminist witch lens, too. Follow the path to her Instagram account at Angela Mary Magic. that's magic with a C-K, Lucky Witch Wave listeners receive a whopping 70% off Moon Coven that's 70% off her Moon Coven spells utilizing offer code witch at checkout head over to angelamarymagic.com for all the divine details. Welcome back to the Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Chiquita Brujita. We've talked about dancing, we've talked about divination, that leaves fire magic, which is one of my favorite things to talk about because I have been obsessed with candles since I was super, super little. Not quite pyromaniac level, but I'm shocked I didn't burn my whole house down because I had so many candles in my room when I was growing up. And you make your own sets of candles. And for those who haven't seen them, they are prayer candles. They're those beautiful, tall glass candles that you'll see in botanicas, or I mean, in New York, we see them in grocery stores and convenience stores <laughs> everywhere. And they're often to either conjure some kind of specific magic or a thing you want to manifest in your life or get some bad energy away. Sometimes it's to honor certain saints or deities or orishas, but your prayer candles are a little bit different than that. There's some overlap, but I'd love for you to describe them because they're really, really awesome.
1: Yeah. My brand is called Brooklyn Brujeria and the candles are contemporary prayer candles meant for today's modern brujas. I'm best known for my fuck out of here candle, (laughs) which has little daggers and side eyes illustrating it. In the same night of doing my fortune telling, I was moved to create my first line of candles, you know, and really trouble this notion that the candle that the energy of the practice, the ritual of lighting a, a prayer candle had to be tied explicitly to the art that we're provided. So to these saints, mostly Catholic saints. And so what would it look like to petition in you know all of the same ways for luck, for good fortune, for money, abundance, for love, but in ways that were contemporary? And so I have a Boss Bitch candle. I have a You Got This candle. There's one that says Pray Hard, Hustle Harder, and so on.
0: And they're really beautifully designed, too. I mean, they're really, really gorgeous. So do you do the design as well, or do
1: you work with a designer? I sit side by side with my designers. It's just they drive. They're a little faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Wonderful. Well, they're really, really special. I definitely have to get myself some because they're wonderful. Speaking of the fuck out of here candle, there's a lot of people now who are doing all kinds of spells against this curtain current administration and doing magic to try to protect themselves, protect the most vulnerable among us, especially if you're queer, if you're a person of color, if you're a woman. I don't think I have to tell listeners. It's a really, really horrifying time. Not that it's always been easy, but it's really a particularly upsetting time. And I think by the time this episode airs, we'll be after the midterm elections. So we'll see what kind of mood we're in then. But I'm wondering... How do you link together your work with activism? Are you lighting candles against this administration, for example? Are you doing dances for political purposes, or do you see them as separate?
1: Yes, and, right? My candles are often used for doing brujería against Trump. Our homegirl in Chicago very famously had that sign up on CNN a couple of years ago. The sign said like, I'm only here to do brujería against Trump, I think was the the thing. And it ended up on TV because they didn't know what it meant. It was (laughs) a hilarious moment. The Latino community was was cracking up. Awesome. Yeah, she got a candle. I was like, find her, you get a candle. (laughs) (laughs) I do protective magic, right? So I think my practice is that there's no hexing. I don't do any spell work. It's just very much focused on my own health and stability. And so to that end that I care about living, sentient, wonderful humans and the environment and all sorts of things that are not priorities for this administration. Yeah, I mean, yeah, all of this is an anti-fascist exercise. My freedom is an anti-fascist exercise. Like I'm a woman of color, like anything that I can do to be happy and healthy on a daily basis, I think is an anti-fascist exercise. But in addition to that, I do take active stances in some ways, right? I don't publicly proclaimed to be an activist I think that far more people have done far more work but in the ways that I can and now that I have whatever platform that I have I've done some things you know I I don't know I mean I I I was horrified to see the government response to the hurricane in Puerto Rico right yeah to see it be in many ways this first hit you know, not first, there's been banned, but people dying on colonized, but still American soil at the hands of this regime. And so having it be also my blood and having it be this physical response. So I, I did this event in September that was on the anniversary of Hurricane Maria. And we did what we could to fundraise on behalf of some artists on the island. But, you know, my activism was just hosting that night and being able to offer a space of drums, and community and freedom for joy and have it be boldly ours to be hanging Puerto Rican flags underneath the Manhattan Bridge on that day in itself is an act of resistance. And so I think being able to steward that with my partners that allowed that was amazing. I think the community was grateful do I think that I'm leading a revolution? I I wish that I had the cojones and the wherewithal and the resources to do that because it's needed. But I think for what it's worth, I'm doing my part.
0: <laughs> I have to say, for most of us conscious, compassionate people... Everybody is trying to do their part. But if there is a moment where we say, oh, well, we're not leaders or we're not doing enough, that's really a message that I think can be sometimes crippling for people. And so I love this idea like you're doing what you can and you're doing it within the context and the medium that you're using your gifts to apply towards resistance and towards raising awareness or raising money or what have you. I don't think we all are supposed to be revolutionary leaders. I think it takes all all of us doing what we can.
1: Yeah, and it was really beautiful. You know, I built a number of yellow altars leading up to the event. I work with fake flowers as my medium, (laughs) but I built these altars. So I decided to build a number of yellow altars around this concept that the response to the hurricane was this sort of canary in a coal mine moment of us really encountering the brutalities, this energy of the fascism of the regime. So to take this concept of beauty these flowers on a wall and to trouble it and say, okay, well, what does yellow actually signify, right? It's danger, right? It's signaling that the conditions are actually unsafe. So I think that was a project over the summer that I think was activist in nature. I certainly didn't make any money doing it. Um, (laughs) And I did it because I felt like I could and it felt right. It was beautiful to see other people pick it up and build their own altars or do a dance performance around this concept of canaries and it just even offering some sort of solace of community. And I'm not the only one that's still grieving. That's still feeling this for whoever it resonated with, I think was important.
0: I love that. You said something on Instagram recently that really resonated with me. You wrote joy is an act of resistance. And I really love that message. And that's a message that I've been trying to embody in my own life and trying to project through the podcast and other things that I'm doing, not just because everybody wants to feel better but I really think that it is this means of recharging yourself and replenishing yourself so you can keep fighting and also remembering why life is worth living in the first place and yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the idea of joy as resistance
1: you nailed it we live in a society you know from the eye perspective as a woman of color like with all of my privilege knowing how much more difficult it is for so many other folks. And so I think that being able to find joy despite the powers that be that are actively seeking to not have us survive, let alone thrive, joy is absolutely a part of that. It comes back to my parties. It comes back to my candles that make people smile, that still are able to offer them some moment of personal connection, but also some hope, I guess, some faith that We have still power, no matter the forces that be. To your point, life is about finding these moments of joy because the devastation will be never ending. Jada Pinkett said this the other day, devastation is unrelenting. Life is about devastation. It's going to constantly come. And So if you don't, in the moments when that devastation is not happening, you don't find your joy, you're lost. That's it. We got to do our best. It's up to us to, just to smile and to make those moments happen as best as we absolutely can.
0: Well, you are making so much joy and so much magic in everything that you do. I am so honored to get to talk to you today. Before we go, if people want to learn more about your parties, your candles, your dancing, all of your various magic, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, so you can find me online at chiquitabrujita.com. I'm also always on my Instagram, for better or for worse. (laughs) Also (laughs) at chiquitabrujita. Email, all those things are connected through the site. My candles are up there. I'm out and about. Yes, and we Mm -hmm. are going
0: to find you and dance with you. Thank you so much, Chiquita Brujita. It's a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Pam.
0: That's it for the show. Thank you again to Chiquita Brujita for joining me and be sure to check out her fantastic prayer candles that are made for anyone of any background to use. And follow her on Instagram for more information about her divination, dancing, and magical musical parties. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop me an email at witchwavepodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, and you might make it on the Witch Wire. The Witch Wave is produced and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Rachel Jacobs. Thank you, Rachel, and myself. Our theme music is by Lycanthea. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman and Shakita Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, witchwavepodcast.com, and please subscribe to us on iTunes and give us lots of shimmering stars. It makes such a big difference. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchwavePod, and check out my Witch Emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. And please consider pre-ordering my book, Waking the Witch. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.